You know how, how you can tell if someone is a vegan? A vegan? They'll tell you. Right? I mean, very often, uh, I mean, that same joke uh, is used with people who use CrossFit for exercise, that methodology and those principles. But really, you can use that joke for so many different things. When people get excited about things, they will share it. And sometimes, even to an annoying degree. Right, You're talking about one thing and it always comes back to what this person is reading or what they're watching uh, or the diet that they're on. And there's one sense in which it's kind of like, okay, we get it. But there's another sense in which that's quite beautiful. Actually, someone would be so dedicated to something, so devoted to it, so excited by it that they can't help but share it. That everything reminds them of this one thing. They'll always find a way to bring the conversation back to this. Well, that's how the saints were with Jesus. That's how we were, maybe, when we were first falling in love. Right? That we can think back to those blissful days of infatuation and think like, yeah, everything reminded me of her during those days. And I would see something beautiful and I would think like, oh, that reminds me of her beauty. And you might think, oh, I'd love to. This is the only thing that would make this better is if she were here with me right now and so on and so forth, right? Everything tied back to this one figure. Well, that's how the saints were with Jesus, but that's also how scripture is with Jesus. Every single page of the written word is meant to express a different aspect of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. He's the fullness of relationship, or of revelation, rather. He is that fullness of revelation that all of the Old Testament was pointing toward and then all of the New Testament is unwrapping for us. And that one principle can guide so much of our understanding and our reading of Scripture that everything at the end of the day will in one way or another point to Christ and to us. Every page of Scripture is a window that gives us insight into God himself, Father, Son, and, G- uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made visible in Jesus Christ. And every page of sacred Scripture is a mirror through which we can see ourselves more clearly. And so there are three levels at which we can always read any passage of sacred scripture. And I think that this is very helpful for us because very often we're scared. We're scared to look into these weird stories of the prophets or we don't know where exactly we are in the history of Israel. And so when we read or hear a reading like we had today from the prophet Jeremiah with all these uh, weird names and this, uh, this scene that seems to come out of nowhere, we kind of tune out and we just think like, oh yeah, for whoever was reading Jeremiah earlier today, that'll make sense. For me, it's just, you know, a scene that I can kind of tune out and wait for the gospel but we sell ourselves short at that moment. We end up shortchanging ourselves, uh, not giving ourselves an opportunity to have God speak to us. Because I doubt any of us woke up this morning and thought, you know what? Our first readings from Jeremiah 38, I should brush up. I'm going to read chapters 1 through 37 so that I could be ready. No, we get this out of context 
And we miss out because we think that the most important or the only important thing to know is what the storyline of this book is. But that's just one of the three levels. It's an important one, so I, I wish and I, I wish that we were more uh, immersed in the scriptures so that when we see this scene, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. That, that's, yeah, toward the end of the book, uh, this is all that's happened before it. This is what's going to happen afterwards. That's how we treat so many other things. Shows that maybe we watch over and over and over again until we can quote you exactly the, the lines of dialogue that they're going to have throughout this episode. If we could have that kind of a familiarity with the scriptures, how beautiful would it be? But even if we're not there yet, we can always get something out of a reading of scripture because it's always an encounter with the living word of God, Jesus Christ. So the first level is just face value. What does the story say? And today from that 38th chapter of Jeremiah, we have this scene of the king getting bad advice from his princes to... Uh, imprison Jeremiah by throwing him into this cistern, into this pit, essentially a death sentence. And then the good advice of one Ebed Melech, this court official, this Cushite, uh, who ends up telling the king, you've made a mistake, and the king takes Jeremiah out of that pit, or has him taken out of that pit. At face value, you might have said, why did we pick that as the first reading? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Especially if we don't know who the prophet Jeremiah was, what he was preaching to this people, why they might have hated what he had to say. But that first level is not the only level at which we look at it. It's, what does the text say? What's the story being recounted? Secondarily, how does this point to Jesus Christ? How is this the window into God himself? And then third, how is this a mirror that's meant to show me myself and the situations that I'm in and how to better deal with them. First level, Jeremiah thrown into this pit. At that level, we think, how could they do that? Throw the prophet of God into this pit. How could they have been so blind as to who this man is? How could they be so deaf to the truth that he was trying to preach to them? Well, then we move to level two, Jesus Christ. We realize that's what happened with him. We realize, in fact, if you go to the Holy Land, you can see this underground pit, this prison where he was uh, awaiting trial in between when, you know, the high priest Caiaphas was, uh, was interrogating him. King Herod was interrogating him. They took him uh, to um, uh, the Pontius Pilate uh, for an additional interrogation. Well, they had to hold him somewhere, and we see that this uh, scene from Jeremiah, the prophet, was then played out in the life of Jesus, who was the fulfillment of all prophecy. We see this psalm where we say, I have waited, waited for the Lord, and he stooped toward me. The Lord heard my cry. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud of the swamp. We see how that is both looking back to Jeremiah and forward to um, Jesus Christ. But we also see how this plays out in my own relationship with Jesus. Here, I have a confession to make. I mean, usually I'm on the other side of the confessional, but if you're okay with it, I'm going to confess to you right now. There are times, far more frequently than I'd like to admit, that I throw Jesus in a pit. I do. 
I throw him uh, into this bin called, I'll get to it tomorrow. Or whenever he is being particularly annoying through my conscience, right? When, when he's calling me on something, I'll cast him aside. I'll throw him into that pit. Just the way that the king did with the prophet Jeremiah. Why did he do that? Why did the princes advise him to do that? Because Jeremiah was speaking truth and very often that's not what we want to hear. Right? How often is it that we love or hate a preacher based on if they made us feel good or if they called us on stuff? If they called us on where we might have needed to change, we might say, what a mean guy. I don't like him. Nope, not that guy. Mm-mm, he's a bad priest. If he every week just told me, you're great and you really don't have to change anything. And in fact, the world has to change. You all are A-OK. We might say, yeah, that guy was great. I love him. I miss him so much. We're the same as the princes and kings of old. We hate having truth spoken to us very often, but that's exactly what we need. And so we can even ask ourselves, how do I treat the prophets God has sent in my life? Those people who love me enough to call me out when I need calling out. Those people who love me enough to say, you know what? You're not acting rightly here. You're actually in the wrong. You came to me to vent about how awful your brother-in-law was And I get it, that guy's the worst. But in this particular instance, you're in the wrong, he's right. Do we surround ourselves with those people or no? It's another level at which we can read a scripture like this. But we return to Jesus and that sad, sad habit that I don't think I'm alone in, of throwing him in the pit, of things that I don't want to deal with right now, either because... I'm insecure, that, that, that maybe I'm not acting as he would want me to act, and so I don't want to face him in real, honest, consistent prayer. Instead, I throw him into that pit of, I'll get to it someday, maybe later on when I have more energy, maybe later on when I gain a little bit more courage, but right now I'm going to keep you at an arm's length, Lord. I'm not going to go deep in my prayer. Instead, I'm just going to keep you far away. I'm going to throw you in this pit of things that I'm not looking at right now, of things that I'd rather uh, neglect for the time being. I'm too busy for you, can't you see? And I throw him into that pit. And this Mass is an opportunity for me to reach into that pit and say, Lord Jesus, I don't want you to be there. I, I, I want you to be in the forefront of my mind. I want to be able to do what the author of the letter to the Hebrews says. To rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. I don't want to throw him out of sight, out of mind. I want to have my relationship with him be first and foremost in my life. Because when I throw him into the pit, he's not injured by that, right? He's God Almighty. He doesn't need relationship with me. I need relationship with him. When I throw him into that pit, he's not going to starve to death like Jeremiah would have. But my relationship with him will. My soul's the one that starves. When I throw him into that pit, I realize, no, I've actually thrown myself there. I'm actually the one that's hurting more because of that. Whenever I neglect him, my soul's the one that suffers more. He suffers in the way that a parent suffers when they watch their children starving. He suffers in the sense of realizing that I have all that I need and I'm throwing it away. But I'm the one that ultimately wastes away when I haven't put him first. 
but wonderfully he reaches into that pit, right? Just like we said in that psalm. I waited, waited for the Lord, and he stooped toward me. At every Mass, he does that. He says, let me draw you out of that mire that, you've, that you have sunk yourself into by throwing the relationship with me out of sight and out of mind. Let's get you back onto your feet so that we can have this relationship once more. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to be able to run the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith. He wants us to be able to have something great and glorious. When he calls us on something, calls us to conversion, calls us to change, when he does that, which a fulfillment of every prophecy would do, speaks truth to us, he does it not just so that we can feel bad about ourselves and sit in our sin. He does it so that we can rise to a higher level. What's beautiful is that next line where it says, For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that lay before him, you know what that joy was? It wasn't reunion with the Father in heaven because he never lost that completely. Right In taking on humanity, even at the moment of feeling humanity's abandonment from God that sin causes, even then he was still united to the Father. The joy that lay before him was not his own resurrection. No, the joy that lay before him was the thought of you joining him in heaven. He already has perfect joy as God. The joy that can be added, if we can say that, is you being in communion with him. That's what brings a smile to God's face. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he descended into the pit to find us there and to lift us higher. Our opportunity at this Mass is to join ourselves to him. To say, yes, God, I cling to you more than I cling to anything else in this world. And that's what primes us for the gospel. It's a tough one. It's a weird one. It's one that maybe at face value we can't understand. Because at face value, it seems like this is not the same Jesus that tells us to love one another. Right? He says, I tell you I came to bring division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two, two against three, father divided against his son, son against his father, mother, daughter, daughter-in-law, mother-in-law. We see these divisions and we think, God, how can you rejoice in dysfunctional families? How can you want us to be divided? Aren't you meant to be the source of our unity? Well, here, if we realize that Jesus Christ is primary in all things. Every word of scripture points to him, but also every atom of our being longs for him. We realize what he's saying here is not, I want you to value your relationships with your family less. No, he's saying, I want you to value your relationship with me so much more that those seem like nothing by comparison. It's not an either or here in most cases. It's not either I love Jesus or I love my family. It's I cannot let anything, not even my family, get in the way of how much I love Jesus. Right? Because we're already divided, but we're divided over the most petty things. Sometimes people are divided over an inheritance that none of them actually needed. But they're just so mad and they could be mad for decades. 
never speak again to their brother or their sister because of this piece of land that they didn't even want. They're just mad that they got it and I didn't. Or we can be so petty and so divided over questions of ego. I feel like I'm being cheated or you don't respect me the way that you need to respect me. Those are the divisions we already have. Those are not the divisions the Lord rejoices in. Those are the divisions the Lord wants to lift us out of. So the only thing that would ever divide us is that we are clinging to Christ and others have chosen not to. And they have the choice to cling to Christ as well and we invite them into that, but we're not going to let them keep us from clinging to the love for which we were made. That's the type of division that is okay, the division between those who are willingly clinging to the Christ who is lifting them out of the pit and those who stubbornly remain in the pit. That's the kind of division that is acceptable. But acceptable with this caveat, we should always be praying and hoping for and inviting those who stubbornly remain in the pit to cling to Christ so that he can lift them out of it. Right? The, the initial division here that Christ speaks of, the one that's acceptable is, don't let anything divide you from me. And so you should be willing to be divided from anything else, even the highest of love, the love that's in family and friendship. Even that should not div- d- divide you from the love that that love is a reflection of, the love of Jesus. Cling to me in such a way that you would be willing to sacrifice everything else and I will lift the level of everything else. That's what Jesus promises us. He says, make this relationship the primary one and you'll be more capable to lift those other ones to a higher level. But know that eventually some people might not want that. And you might have to say, I choose Jesus. Even though you hate me for it, I choose Jesus and I won't choose anything else. And that Jesus that you've chosen will love you in an unspeakably greater way. He will make you more capable of loving the people that maybe have rejected you because you've chosen him. And it's that Jesus that we keep our eyes on. It's that Jesus that we have a relationship with that everything draws, uh, draws us back to him. We become those annoying people that just can't stop talking about Jesus, not because we're putting on a show, not because we are trying to manipulate people into belief, but because we're in love. And we're reminded of that love everywhere. Everything points us back to Jesus. Every word of scripture points us back to Jesus. Every experience in our lives draws us back to Jesus. And it's that Jesus that in a few moments we will behold. I will say, behold the Lamb of God, and we will feast our eyes upon the Lord who loves us so much, who doesn't want to be thrown into this pit in our minds and in our souls, forgotten, left for tomorrow, but also wants to lift us out of whatever pit we've thrown ourselves in by doing that, by forgetting him so frequently. He says, remember me now. Let me lift you to a higher level. Cling to me above all else.